Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's really designed to help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is supported by many of my friends, including those involved in the associations as well as Professional Remodeler, Engage, Leap, and other key kind of strategic alliances that are out there trying to help you with your business. Today, I want to talk about a topic that usually is one I try to get into at least once a year, and that is to kind of break down some misconceptions or myths. If you think about this just in life, if you're guided, for example, by a series of misconceptions, whether they're related to your health or whether they're related to other elements in your life, you're oftentimes going to make the wrong decisions. And my goal today, quite frankly, is not to crack the code and give you the answers. My code, uh, my goal today is to help you think. And I think the more that you think about things, I think the more successful you'll be. Matter of fact, one of our goals with the Extreme Sales Summit coming up on October 6th and 7th is just that. How can we get you to start to think about things a little bit differently? Because there's been a lot of things that have changed, but the real question is not what's changed, but what's around the corner. And as certainly my friends at Google shared, you know, it's a little bit of blurry lines out there. It's a little bit like an Escher painting in terms of what's around the corner out there. And I think thinking about these issues and and breaking down some of these myths and misconceptions are certainly a great way to do it. Now, there are a lot of things out there today that are really real-time and relevant, but on this particular podcast, what I've done is I've created kind of the Letterman top 10 list, at least for me. It's certainly something that I think about, that these are misconceptions that I see, quite frankly, over the last 20, 30, even 40 years within remodelers and the remodeling businesses. And in your defense, most remodelers, they didn't go to Remodeling University and get their master's degree in how to do this business. Most remodeling businesses, you know, are a product of evolution. They had some sawdust in the blood. They had some interest in design. They had some, you know, real thirst to kind of have their own thing. And then they dove in and before they knew it, they were in the remodeling business. And as a result of that, your business is a product of evolution. You figured things out. You tried. You listened to others. But there's not necessarily just one way to do things. There's many different ways. And I think that's part of the reason that I think there's some misconceptions that certainly are out there. So whether you are a client or someone that works with me directly, I encourage you, you know, to just jot these down and think about them and certainly don't hesitate to reach back to me if in fact you have a different perspective or you want to just discuss any one of these things in a deeper way. The first one is top firms, top remodeling firms are your biggest competitor. Now, if you really think about that, I oftentimes ask in questions in, in, in audiences is, you know, give me your top three biggest competitors. And needless to say, 
everyone is going to come up with ABC remodeling or Jones design build or whatever it happens to be. They're going to come up with those names that really resonate for them. And then I go back and I say, well, how many projects have you actually lost to that? Because if you're, for example, in the home supply business, you're going to lose business from a, you know, one lumber yard or from a Home Depot or Lowe's to the other. And the answer is, well, rarely we ever lose a project to them, but their name pops up. I actually, many years ago, had my marketing team go back and look at our market share. And we had less than 1% of the market share of the home improvement and remodeling dollars spent in our particular area. And when you have less than 1%, there's a giant aha that goes off. And that is, what does that mean to have a competitor out there? So I know at the time, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Why did we lose profit? projects because that's really what competition is all about. What am I losing it to? And this mini kind of thought process started to kind of become part of our thinking. And that is that your your biggest competitor is not another remodeler or another home improvement company. Your biggest competitor is the client themselves. And when you start to understand that notion, you know, what is it about the client? It's about their stress. It's about their ignorance. It's about being time starved. It's about elements within the client that are keeping the project from going. Matter of fact, for most remodelers, when they go back and see that they lost something and they go back a year or two years later, more times than not, the client didn't even do the project. So you, your biggest competitor in all of this process is going to, is really the client. So what this really tells you is one thing, and that is I've got to be a better marriage counselor. I've got to be a better Better, uh, the financial planner. I've got to be better at uh, mediating and and really helping guide them through the decision to kind of break down the fog and be able to move forward. That's your biggest competitor. It's not the other remodelers themselves. Matter of fact, based on that little mini revelation, I actually pulled together with a good friend the top remodelers in our area that we would end up having a breakfast once a month and talk about kind of market conditions and talk about insights that each other was experiencing because we really knew at the end of the day, the real competition was not necessarily each other. It was really the client itself. Number two on my list a misconception that we tend to have a tendency is you make your money on what you sell. The reality is you don't make your money on what you sell. You make your money on what you produce. So if you really think about that theme, and I'm not trying to be a wordsmith here and flip things around, but at the end of the day, what you produce is where you make your money. So it's really critical, I think, to start to think about, think about the production side of the equation much, much more than the sales side of the equation. So more specifically, If you think about this in football terms, you've heard this kind of adage before, offense wins games and defense wins championships. Well, the defense in this case 
is in fact your production team. Matter of fact, I've at least found oftentimes low GP is not a product of, of a production. It's a product of what we've sold. And I share this because if you understand where the source of where you're making or not making your money is, then you can put your spotlight on that and you can look at it more carefully. And as re- at the end of the day, you're going to make more money. And, and if you focus on, uh, on uh, uh, where the source of the problems are, but also where the source of the opportunities are. Number three on my misconceptions list, and I see this a lot with folks that I'm working with, is they get all excited about landing a big whale. You know, they think a big whale or a big sail is a big win. Well, unfortunately, and I don't want to take the air out of the balloon here, but more times than not, that's not a big win. Matter of fact, I've asked groups before, you know, what is in fact the right size project for your company? And oftentimes people will say, oh, it's anywhere from just a few thousand dollars up to a, up to 500,000. And then I really ask the companies that are really targeted, very focused, what's the right size project? And they know specifically it's 72,000 or it's 185,000. And I don't say this to be kind of black and white. I say it because be careful about those big sales. More times than not, if your sweet spot project is in the range of one to 200,000 and you're selling a five, six, $700,000 project, that's just as much a liability as it is an asset. And how you go about looking at a five or six or $700,000 project project versus a one to two is different. You look at it in terms of different levels of detail. So it's really important that you understand that that is not necessarily time to do uh, a, a bunch of high fives and celebrating. It's time to really buckle down and make sure that that project is successful for you. Number four is a little bit more of a business kind of element, and especially relevant today because of this kind of frenzy of remodeling activity out there. And that is 25 to 35% growth is really, really good. That's a sign of a really healthy business that they're doing really great. Reality is, I studied this many years ago, and in normalized times, which hopefully we're moving a little bit more towards, you want to be targeting, in my opinion, for the idea level of growth of a business, more like 10 to 20%. Now, there are exceptions to this in certain types of specialty businesses that are really designed to be more factories and machines than they are necessarily sustainable client-base-oriented type of businesses. However, Be careful to celebrate too much on high levels of percentage year-over-year growth. If you can be averaging that 10 to 20% in normalized times, that's where the sweet spot is. That's where you can not only have healthy growth, retain great people, the people can grow very nicely within the business, but then also you're going to see the right level of profitability. Now, if you really, really are especially skilled and really able to grow a little bit, maybe you drift that up up into the 20, 25%. But there's a lot of businesses out there that are growing at 40, 50% a year that quite frankly, they just as much risk of crashing and burning as not. Number five on my list, I hear this a lot, especially times right now that I'm too busy. Well, 
it's really not necessarily you're too busy. It's more a matter of you lack the control or your people lack the control of their day rather than their day controlling them. So you need to really focus on this subject in my book, The Art of Time Mastery. There's a time system that you can actually focus on kind of getting that balance of reactive and proactive time. And the best of the best out there aren't ever saying they're too busy. It's more a matter of what is the percentage, what's the blend of proactive versus reactive time, and are they controlling their world or are they letting the, the environment control them? Number six on my misconception list is delighted clients are a product of great projects, of great designs. As much as I think great design and great construction and great craft is really important, I think more times than not, your real delighted clients are going to come from a great client experience. Matter of fact, I studied this a while back, and in many cases, clients that had hiccups during the construction and how they were dealt with, how they were treated, they're the ones that oftentimes became the delighted client. It's not the problem that happens. Remodeling has issues that come up. It's more a matter of how does a company treat the client, how does a company communicate with the client, and how does a company create a world-class client experience. It's the client experience that really, really is the telling sign when it comes to uh, creating, I think, kind of delighting. Number seven on my list is personal referrals are good clients. Now think about that for a minute. When you get a personal referral, what do you do? Does it make you feel good? Does it make you kind of warm and oh, all of a sudden I've got three or four personal referrals and I'm going to hopefully be able to come to closure on those. The reality is personal referrals are easy sales. They're not necessarily good clients. My immediate neighbor, for example, is not necessarily a good client, just like me, even though I would have referred them to you. Matter of fact, my old friend, Steve Maltzman, actually did a study many, many years ago that he said 18% of the homeowners out there will not allow you to make a profit. And I remember going back and thinking, wow, that's a pretty interesting kind of claim, and went back and studied uh, the last 200 clients that we had and 40 of those 200 or 20% of those 200 fell below our gross profit margins. So he was actually correct. And we created a list, a list of questions to ask in terms of the right client. Matter of fact, if you go back to an earlier podcast, I actually talk about that or go back to professional remodeling where, where I've written it. But you've got to get in your head. And this is an important thing to communicate with your team. The right client is the right client, not a personal referral. Personal referrals are easy sales. And of course, we want personal referrals, but we still have to be discriminating and not necessarily put our our guard down. Number eight on my list really ties into kind of your team and the culture and the communication. And I oftentimes hear from different people, oh, I explained that to the client and they didn't understand. Well, the real question, the misconception here is whose fault is that? You know, one of the themes that I truly believe in and certainly write about, it's our obligation to communicate, not the client's 
responsibility to understand. You need to own the communication. Your team needs to own the communication. And a misconception is not you've just done it and check it off the list. The question is, did it stick? Did the client get it? And oftentimes we have to use different methods of communication if we're going to be successful. Most homeowners, most clients tend to be 80% visual thinkers, visual. So if you don't explain things oftentimes in a more visual way, either in a sketch or a diagram or a photograph or that kind of thing, oftentimes they don't understand it. And therefore, if they don't understand it and they don't get it, it's your fault, not theirs. So that's a misconception that I would certainly encourage. Number nine is kind of wrapped around an overall theme of defining success. You know, oftentimes in business, you know, we talk about, oh, we're profitable, therefore we're successful as a business. Well, when I wrote the book, How Fit Is Your Business, and did a 10-point kind of physical of the business, what I realized was there's many elements besides profitability that you need to look at. And you need to look at just like with your personal health, not only your cholesterol, but your blood pressure and certain your weight and other things when you're looking at your overall physical health. Very similarly with clients, you need to define success in a consistent way so that you can communicate with your team. So one of the little formulas that we developed that really was quite successful and got everyone aligned is success equals three components. Success equals projects being on time, projects being on budget, and projects having a delighted client. And if you couldn't check off all three of those boxes, then the project was not necessarily successful. So on time, more specifically, is all about utilizing your resources in the right way. I mean, businesses need to kind of run in a way like a factory and be effective and efficient. You know, on budget takes into account the fiscal nature and the profitability and the you have to run this business in a responsible financial way. And certainly delighted client is all about, you know, the experience as well. Number 10 on my list today is big backlogs are good. The reality is when I ask oftentimes audiences all the time, you know, how do you feel if you've got a longer backlog? How do you feel if you've got a three-month, six-month, nine-month backlog? And I can see in the faces of most remodelers, they're very comforted by having a bigger and bigger backlog. My follow-up question to that is how would you feel if you're a manufacturer like an Anderson Windows or something that you had a – you could not produce a window in 9 to 12 months. I mean, that would be a disaster. So finding the right balance with your backlog is what you ultimately need to make as a priority. And I would say, again, we're dealing with supply chain issues and other things right now, but an ideal backlog for a remodeling kind of business might be more like three to five, three to four months of of backlog. That's to kind of keep the client in check. Your marketing is going to come through. You're not going to be disappointing clients. And you're going to see kind of effectiveness. There are businesses out there today that are really designed, built around the speed of being able to get to the projects. Needless to say, again, there's supply chain challenges with that. However, 
thinking about what the right level of backlog is and not just assuming you're comforted by having a long line of clients waiting for you is really uh, the way to think about this. So I really want to close again and, and kind of thank everybody for listening to this segment of Remodeling Mastery. And also, I want to thank all of my friends and supporters. But most importantly, I want you to think. I want you to think about your business. I want you to ask more questions. I want you to have more dialogue, certainly with your team and certainly others. And that's really, I think, the key to taking your business to the next level. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Remodeling Mastery Podcast by Mark G. Richardson, supported by Professional Remodeler Magazine, Engage, Leap, Marlamar, and Destination Motivation. Check out our earlier podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.